Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 100 verses 4 to 5 All right, so we're in week two of a series we started last week called Grateful. Now, as I think about this particular week, we're going to anchor our message today in an Old Testament passage of Scripture. What's interesting, in, in 22 years of ministry, I've read this story multiple times. I've never given a message on this narrative that we're going to talk about today. So I had a lot of fun diving in, learning a little bit more about the story, learning a little bit more about the impact it, it would have in our lives. And I tell you, uh, God did a big work in my life through this particular story, and I'm going to trust that God would do the same in your life as well. Uh, because today again is a big day. We're celebrating our rooted graduates. We're also celebrating those who made the decision to follow Jesus and choose to express that commitment through baptism. Now, there are some 40-some-odd people that we knew that were signed up, registered to be baptized this weekend, which is awesome. Awesome. Can't wait to celebrate that. But here's what we also believe, that there are also people who arrived today not thinking that you were going to get baptized, not planning to be baptized, but here's what I want to challenge you. If you're somebody who is a follower of Jesus or maybe becomes a follower of Jesus today and you've never expressed that publicly through baptism, maybe today's your day. You didn't show up anticipating that this is a step that you would make, but would you at least be open to how God might move in your heart, in your life, and maybe receptive to doing something that you didn't intend to do, but definitely a decision worth celebrating today. So if you allow me to, I love to pray to start our time, and then we'll jump right in. Uh, God, we're grateful for the opportunity we have to celebrate our rooted graduates and the incredible work that you did in our lives for these small group environments. God, I also am just, just celebrating uh, the 44 lives who've already said yes to following you and want to express that commitment through baptism today. But God, we believe that there are others who didn't show up today ready to be baptized, but that's the decision you're going to lead them to in this moment. So Father, would you move in hearts? Would you move in lives? Would you, would you cause us to surrender fully to you? God, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now again, I mentioned that this particular narrative is one that I've read before, but I've never given a message on before, but it's really kind of a, a fascinating story. It's located for us in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to 2 Kings. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. Uh, if you'd like to use a smartphone, I would encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app. And again, you can just digitally type in 2 Kings chapter 5. Now you meet this fascinating guy named Naaman in this passage. I want to read a little bit more about him and then I'll tell you a little bit more about his story. Here's what we read. It says, now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. And so you read in these first couple of verses, there's this guy named Naaman. Now, he was not a part of what would have been known as God's people back in the ancient world. The, the, the God's people were the Israelites, the Jewish nation. 
Uh, Aram was not. He was actually from a foreign country. You would even call it an enemy of Israel. But did you notice, it actually says that, that God worked through him. It's a fascinating detail. A person who was not a follower of God, not yet obedient to the things of God, yet God was still using him. And God was using him as a commander in the army. It it describes him. He was a great man. He was a valiant soldier. He had won all kinds of victories for the nation that he represented in Aram. To the king of Aram, Naaman was the man. I mean, if you want to say, like, if if Naaman would have played basketball, he would have been Michael Jordan. Like, if he'd have played tennis, he was the Serena Williams. If he would have played golf, he was the Tiger Woods. I mean, he was was the goat when it came to being the commander of the armies of Aram. He He was kind of the person you wanted to be. He had power, he had clout, he had influence, he had wealth, he was a great man. Now, did you notice it says that he was a great man? And then you hear the word, but there was something that, there was something he didn't want people to know. He was a great man, but did you notice it says that he has leprosy? Now, leprosy in the ancient world was not something that was helpful because though it wasn't necessarily life-threatening, it was viewed very threatening by people. And so oftentimes those individuals were cast out of society. And so I don't really know fully what Naaman's story was, but likely he had a small spot, so much so that he tried to hide it from everyone else. Again, he was a soldier. He had army. His his armor not only gave him influence, his armor allowed him to cover up what he didn't want people to know about. The truth is I relate to Naaman. Because there are things that I want people to see, and there's things about me that I don't want people to see. And my guess is that's probably true about you as well, that there are things that we choose to hide because we don't really want people to see every nook and cranny about who we are. There's things that we would rather be secret. It's true about me. Uh, For example, uh, what many of you may not know is I actually have a bald spot on the side of my head. I've had it since the day I was born. Uh, It's a little bit embarrassing to me, so much so that I ask anybody cutting my hair to make sure they leave enough hair to cover it. And if they, for whatever reason, cut it a little bit too short, I've been known to color it in with a coloring pencil so that you won't see it. It's a little embarrassing to me, and so I probably will never tell you about it. I like to keep it a secret. There are other things that that's true about me as well. Uh, for example, for those of you familiar with the Enneagram, it's kind of like a personality type of test. I test out as an Enneagram 3. It's the achiever. That's very true about me. Uh, I like setting goals. I like accomplishing things. I like winning stuff. I like medals, right? I, 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 like, I like the accomplishment. Now, the challenge with that type of personality is I can very easily find my identity and worth in the things that I do versus who I am in Christ. And I can get that lost, And so if my perception of myself is that I'm winning, that I'm accomplishing things, that I'm successful, I can have a high view of myself. And if I feel like I'm not being successful, I'm falling short, I'm failing in some way, I can beat myself up like crazy. That in many ways, I can, in an unhealthy way, draw my identity and worth based on what I do, again, instead of who I am as a follower of Jesus. Now, as a pastor... I don't like to share that with you, particularly when I'm being really hard on myself. I like as a pastor for you to think that I've got it kind of figured out, that I'm doing okay, that I got it together. I don't like showing you when I don't actually have it together. I tend to try to keep it a secret. 
try to hide it in some way. My guess is I'm not alone in that. The truth is we probably each have our thing, right? That we could say about somebody that she is really great, but she's struggling with an addiction. He's incredibly successful at work, but his marriage is falling apart. That person is adored by everybody that they're around, and yet their 17-year-old won't speak to him. We kind of all have the thing in our life, and I'm not bringing these up to shame you in any way. I'm just bringing it up to recognize that we're all kind of in the same boat. Every single one of us, no matter who we are, there's something in our life that if it was up to us, we don't really want people to know about it. We'd much rather hide it. We, we'd like to keep it secret. And that, that's where Naaman's at. He's a great man, influential well, powerful man, wealthy man. Everybody thought he was the man. But he had a secret that he didn't want anybody to know about. Here's the challenge with that, is if we live that way and continue to live that way, what we'll discover is there's no healing in hiding. And the truth is, if we want God to do a great work in our life, it's going to cause us to acknowledge what is hidden. That's the first step we have to take. We have to be people who are willing to acknowledge what is hidden. Now, I don't know if Naaman would have ever done it on his own, but somebody actually calls it out in him. Here's what we read next, a couple of verses later. Uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 2 says this. Now, the bands of raiders from Aram, they'd gone out and they'd taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served, as, uh, she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. It's so what scripture tells us, again, Naaman was a part of this enemy nation, this, this group that was a rival to the nation of Israel. And at some point in the journey, people had gone, they had ransacked a part of Israel, they had taken this girl as a captive and made her a servant in, uh, in Naaman's household. And I don't know exactly the circumstances, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I would imagine there was a day that Naaman had taken off his armor, that he no longer was projecting what he wanted everybody else to see, but behind closed doors, he'd taken off his armor, and that spot of leprosy was seen by this servant girl. And she sees it, she calls it out, she says, hey, there's somebody in my home country in Israel that if you were to go to him, he could surely heal you of that. Now, isn't it fascinating that sometimes God's voice comes from the most unlikely sources? Naaman's the man. He's the man. He's powerful. He's wealthy. Why in the world would he listen to a servant girl who's not even named because she had no authority? But I'm telling you, sometimes the voice of God comes from the most unlikely places. Sometimes the voice of God comes from people that we would rather not listen to. Uh, let me go after that one for a moment. We've got our students in the room. Students, can I pick on you for a moment? Here's the truth, that sometimes there are people that you want to listen to. You might lean into a small group leader. Maybe you lean into Gretchen and Joe and the messages that they give. Maybe you lean into a teacher at the school. But when it comes to the wisdom of your parents, ooh, I'd rather not listen there. But can I push you to consider that sometimes the voice of God sounds a lot like the voice of mom and dad. It does. But we can be resistant to it. 
Now, I don't mean to pick on the students because the truth is anybody who's ever been in a relationship, sometimes the least likely person we're willing to listen to is the person that we are married to or in a dating relationship with. I will take advice from anybody else, but sometimes the people closest to me are the people I'm most resistant to hear, but sometimes their voice is actually the voice I need to lean into. What's fascinating about Naaman is this servant girl that became kind of the voice of God that says, hey, I see what you're trying to hide. You don't have to live in hiding. You can actually live a life of healing. And she basically challenges him to go see this prophet that lives in her home country. And so the first thing is, Naaman has to acknowledge what is hidden. Again, there is no healing in hiding. You have to bring it out in the open for God to do his great work in your life. But the second piece is this, once we are willing to name it, we have to follow God's direction. Now remember where she told him, she says, you got to go to Israel to see a prophet. Look what he actually does. Verse 4, Naaman went to his master, meaning the king of Aram, and told him what the girl of Israel had said. The king says, by all means, go, the king of of Aram replied. I will send a letter to who? To the king of Israel. Because in their mind, if he's going to get healing, it's going to come from somebody who is great and powerful and mighty in that country, just like you would expect it in this one. And so I know the girl said go to the prophet, but you kind of hear it. They're about to send me to the king. It's almost like, you remember the game Telephone? Did you ever play the game Telephone, you know, growing up? Nobody ever played the game telephone? Okay, there you go. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. You know, where, where somebody gives a message and they whisper to the next person, the next person, the next person, by the time it gets all the way around, it's a totally different message. It's kind of like if we were to play today and I were to say, tell me about where you're going for Thanksgiving on Thursday. And that was the message. And you told it, told it, told it. And the person at the end, you know, says, well, what I heard was that the Packers have lost six out of the last seven games. I'm just telling you that's what the message said. Don't shoot the messenger, right? Like the message got twisted somewhere along the way, right? And that's kind of what happens in the moment. She says, go to the prophet. If somehow they interpret it, I'm going to send a letter to the king. It's not exactly following the direction that was given. But nevertheless, what's fascinating about this is the king of Aram agreed to send his finest soldier to a foreign land, to a foreign king in order to find healing. Now, I would say on Naaman's part, that took a tremendous amount of courage to even take that step because he had to admit what was going on. He had to admit what was hidden. He also had to admit that it was a servant girl who gave him the recommendation that he's going to follow. took tremendous courage to show up in the way he showed up. Let me say this to you as well. Sometimes... People want us as pastors to preach messages that are like fire and brimstone, like really going after people. You won't find a lot of shame-based preaching coming from me. You know why? Because I'm incredibly proud of you, despite what is hidden, that you chose to show up here this morning. It takes great courage sometimes to just show up. The truth is, likely, the truth is likely you don't need me to beat you up because you're already beating yourself up. And my job is to help call it out and show you a God who can actually heal you. And I believe that's true. But Naaman, he just, he's got the courage. He shows up. 
And so the king writes this letter to the other king. They send him with 75 pounds of gold, 75 pounds of silver, all this clothing, because you gotta, you gotta say thanks to the, to the wealthy dude. I mean, you gotta say thanks to the king with all this wealth and this extravagance, you know, once he gets there. So, so he sends him on his way. Now, what's interesting is you continue to read the story. Naaman makes the 90-mile journey. He shows up uh, at the doorstep of the king of Israel. The king of Israel doesn't know what to do with him. He's like, who am I? I'm just a man. I can't heal you. I don't have the goods. I, I can't do it. He actually took it as an offense. He was afraid that this enemy king had sent one of the soldiers to be healed. If he can't heal them, then he was going to go back. That would make the king mad and they were going to get invaded. And so not only was he not able to do it, he was actually threatened that this came his way. But what the king saw as a threat, Elisha the prophet saw as an opportunity. And he actually summoned Naaman to his house. You read it, you read it next. Here's what it says. It says, when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent a message. Why have you torn your robes? He tore his robes because he was so like, stressed out by the whole incident. He says, have the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots. He stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Again, he had to follow God's direction. At first, he went to the wrong dude. He sought out healing in the wrong way. That was not the direction that he was given. And that's why this principle is so incredibly important to all of us. If you want to be blessed, you are not blessed just by hearing God's word. You are blessed when you choose to hear God's word, apply God's word, obey God's word, and live in God's word. That's where you'll find the blessing. It's not enough to just hear it. I know people who've sat in church environments for 30 years and their lives are still untransformed. It's not enough to hear it. You got to hear it, apply it, obey it, live it. Then you'll experience transformation. I'm telling you, in my 20 some odd years of ministry, some of the most kind, gracious, generous, others focused, amazing people I've ever met are Christians. And there are people who've taken God's word, they've applied it. Their lives are fundamentally transformed because of it. And at the same time, some of the most judgmental, hate-filled, critical people I've ever met in life are also Christians. Ironic, isn't it? Because just because I hear something doesn't mean my life is transformed. I have to apply God's love. I've got to obey God's word. I've got to live in it. Then my life will look fundamentally different. So Naaman eventually gets to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't come out to greet him, which kind of makes, Naaman gets a little miffed by that. Instead, he just sends a servant out and he says, you know, the king can't, you know, do this miracle for you. But at this point, Elisha's already done a few miracles. He'd parted the Jordan. He'd resurrected this person. I mean, he eats leprosy for breakfast. This was not a big deal. And so he just sent this servant out to, to talk to Naaman and tell him to go to the river Jordan and, and, and wash seven times in the, in the Jordan. But Naaman hears this, and he gets miffed. Because first, he was a little miffed that, that Elisha the prophet didn't come out to greet him. He brought all of his horses and chariots. He brought all of his gold and silver. and clay. He brought everything there. He's a, he's a good man. He's a great man. He's a powerful man. 
I mean, if Michael Jordan showed up at your house and you didn't even go out to see him, he didn't like it. And not only that, he didn't like what he was being told to do. Go to the Jordan? I don't go to the Jordan. The Jordan's muddy, nasty water. I, I got rivers back in my own town that are, that are better. And so here's, here's what Naaman says. It says, so Naaman went away angry. He said, I, I, surely I thought that you would, you would come out to me. You would, you'd stand, you'd call, my name of the, you'd call on the name of the Lord. You would, you'd wave your hand over the spot and you would cure my leprosy. Notice how that phrase started. He said, here's what I thought you were going to do. I thought. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So are not the Abana and the, the, par, the, the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, even better than all the waters of Israel? Could not just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in rage. Why was he so mad? Because God didn't do it the way that Naaman wanted God to do it. You ever been there? When God doesn't work on your timing and God doesn't work the way that you would have expected God to work? Naaman was a great man, a proud man. Great men tend to make plans. And when those plans aren't followed, great men tend to respond the way Naaman did, right? Notice what he said. He started the phrase, I thought. Those two words, those two words will separate you from the joy that God wants you to have. I thought. Those two words can separate you from the peace that God wants you to have. I thought. Because many times, God's plans and my plans look very different. God's timeline and my timeline look very different. And if God doesn't do what I want him to do, I got two choices. I can either surrender my life and do what God wants, or I can take my toys and go home. Naaman takes his toys and goes home. I thought. I thought if I did something for them, that that might be more grateful for me. I thought if I served them, that maybe they would be kinder to me. I thought, I thought maybe I could get tickets to see, what's her name, Taylor Swift this week, right? Anybody get tickets, by the way? Nobody. It's your secret. Don't worry. It's safe with me too. But I thought, I thought I could change my spouse. I thought. I thought if I cut one little corner, it wouldn't make that big of a difference. I thought. Many times God's ways are not our ways. And we will either surrender to God's ways or will rebel against God's ways and we will go back to the place that is unhealed. Naaman was willing to make the 90-mile journey back to home with his leprosy instead of doing what God asked him to do. It seems foolish, but candidly, surrender sometimes is so challenging. Because when I'm full of pride, I want to write my own plan. When I'm full of pride, I want to write my own prescription. But you see, there's a God that's even more interested in healing the thing because he recognizes oftentimes there's a thing beneath the thing. 
that whatever the thing is that we talked about earlier that I might be hiding, I might be concealing, I don't want anybody to know about, more often than not, there's a thing beneath a thing. And here's the truth. God not only wants to change your circumstances, God wants to heal your heart and soul. God wants to make you whole again. And so it's not just God changing your circumstances. When you fully surrender to Him, you yield God the opportunity to do His great work in you. And so as Naaman is on his way back to Damascus, one of his servants kind of caught up to me like, Naaman, Naaman, bro, broski. That's a loose translation of what it says in Scripture. But he's like, what are you doing? Like, if he would have told you to do something big, would you have done it? He's like, sure. Then why won't you do something if he tells you to do if it's small? Like, is it beneath you? And Naaman kind of comes to his senses, and he goes back to the Jordan River and begins to do what he'd been directed to do. Because we have to acknowledge what's hidden. We have to follow God's direction. But notice this too. We have to learn to trust God's process. Often God's this God of the process. Look what happens when he returns to the River Jordan. It says this. So he went down and he, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and it became clean just like that of the young boy. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, God could have healed him in whatever way God would have, could have, would have healed him. I mean, if he would have done it on Naaman's term, Elisha would have just gone out, waved his little hand over the spot of leprosy, and voila, it would have been gone. God didn't do that. He could have told him, just go dip yourself in the Jordan, come out one time, you'll be healed, you can go home, and it's all good. He didn't do that. Why seven times? Why did he have to do it over and over and over again without seeing results along the way? Here's why. Because it takes faith to keep going in the process when I'm not able to see any tangible result. Think about what that journey would have been for Naaman. Naaman would have gone down to the river one time and he came back up and nothing's different. He went back a second time, he came back up, the spot's still there. He went back a third time, he came up, his skin is not clear. He went down a fourth time, he came back up, nothing has changed. I mean, think about the times that you feel like you're in, that I'm doing what God wants me to do. I feel like I'm obedient in what God's asking me to do, but nothing feels different. If you've ever felt that way, you understand, name it. It requires faith to keep going. It requires faith to keep trusting. What God was wanting to do was not just eradicate the leprosy, but instill faith in, in, in Naaman's heart. It was not just about what God was going to do. It was about who he was helping Naaman become. And on that seventh time, as he continued in faith, going time after time again, he comes back free of leprosy. And watch what happens. This is the moment of gratitude. This is the, the connection to the whole series. That when we acknowledge what is hidden, when we follow God's direction, when we truly are people who are willing to lean in faith to God's process, we can celebrate in gratitude because what God did in Naaman's life was not just taking care of the, the leprosy. What God did in Naaman's life is he brought him to himself. Look what his response is, his reaction is. It says, then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, went back to Elisha. He stood before him and said, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Think about that statement. From a guy who grew up in a pagan nation, 
worshiping all kinds of other gods, doing all kinds of other things. A great man, a bold man, a powerful man who was willing to surrender himself to washing in a dirty river. But through it all, the faith that came into his own heart connected him to a new God that fundamentally changed him forever. I wonder if you and I aren't that different from Naaman. The truth is, there's stuff in my life, as I mentioned, that I've got to acknowledge that I've been hiding. There's no healing in hiding. And so I've got to be somebody who learns to trust God's direction and move, follow God's direction. As I do that, I recognize that results often don't happen overnight. It's not like I wake up and, oh my gosh, I'm a new person. There's this process, these rhythms. We talk about it really, these rhythms that God uses to make me whole again. And through it all, the faith that God develops in my life helps me respond to Him in gratitude. What about you?